Hey, it's Karen Hunter from the Karen Hunter Show on Sirius XM Urban View. Here's a highlight from today's show. It's been um, very trying for a lot of us, uh, but let me say hello to someone who hopefully will help uh, soothe some of the angst because she makes me smile when I see her face. Uh, She's a special human being who has uh, fought through and survived some things and is here to join us to have conversation about everything. Let me welcome uh, veteran journalist. Uh, she's an amazing person, mother, etc. Renee Seiler. Hi. Hey, Karen. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I finally got the right link so I can see your beautiful face. How are you? <laughs> well, I'm a little, you know, a little discombobulated, I are think. You? Uh, from, I mean, well, from, but we knew uh, like a month, uh, month and change ago that this was happening. So, you know what? I got to tell you something, um, you know, and not to be really morbid, but, you know, I recently lost my mother and I knew it was coming. But there's something about knowing it's coming and then crossing the line when it really happens that makes it just the, the finality of it, the the emotion, everything. It's like you can't prepare for it until it actually happens. You can do what you can do up until that point, And then it happens and kind of all bets are off. And that's sort of how I felt about this weekend. Um, and, and when the, when SCOTUS handed down the decision. Well, that's a great analogy. I guess, um, you know, I feel like I might be wired differently. I have like off switches in my spirit. Mm-hmm. Like I, you know, to shut off family members, you know, sometimes, you know, I was like, I'm very laser being focused on what what this mission is or what my life's purpose is. So everything else is like a noise or distraction and I'm able to turn down the noise. And I've realized that it's, it might be unique. (laughs) I was like, I was processing this weekend. I was like, I don't know if everybody can do that. And it's not good or bad because I think we need to feel all of the things, but I have, I have no emotional attachment. I'm just on, on focus right now. But for me, Renee, let me just be transparent. This is a drumbeat that's been happening, I guess, 400 plus years. So, you know, my goal is to figure out how to never allow any bondage of anybody to happen ever again, not on my watch. So what I think the the goal is, is to create systems to upend, you know, like I don't want us to constantly be in fight mode. You know, we have to be Mm. in build mode, but build with a purpose to say, hmm, how was this? How were they able to do this? Okay. Oh, okay. So, like, let's go back to the civil rights movement. They ain't like none of those legislations that allow for people to miscegenate and to and to integrate. So, what did they do? They built into the laws and, and elected people who would like Reagan demonize. Oh, Nixon who would demonize black people and then criminalize black people. We had a whole domestic policy around flooding our communities with heroin. And Reagan was like, "Hold my beer. I'm gonna double down. Give y'all crack." And then we're going to put you in prison because that's where we can have slavery again because it says so in the 13th Amendment. So let's bring all of these black people into jail. And then what we do simultaneously is demonize black people. So the world sees black people as dangerous and scary and criminal. But we've done this, uh, you know, pointedly on purpose. And then we also now have a free labor system or very cheap labor system all over the country. This is great. This is great. Okay. What else can we do? Oh, let's bring guns, guns, guns. And let, let, let the white folk think that they're, even though they've self-segregated, they don't have any opportunity whatsoever to be impacted by these people, but let them fear that this is coming. They're coming. And let's not just do the blacks. Let's do the Mexicans. And let's throw them in for good measure. Cause you know, we know we need them, but if we can keep the fear going, then we're going to always be in power. Cause that's our lever because we're losing our numbers because don't know, Nobody want to have sex with us because we're toads. 
Anyway, 866-801-8255. I said it. Yes, you are undesirable. So you have to make laws to force people to have sex with you. That's what this is really about. No, and, and procreate with you because don't nobody want to have your babies. That said, and I'm being hyperbolic on purpose. If your feelings are hurt, <sighs> fix yourself. Uh, be desirable. Become somebody that somebody would want to be with you. You wouldn't ha- should have to force somebody by law to have your baby. But this is not about babies, and I've always known from right. the beginning. So I can't get up in arms about oh they're taking away women's rights. They're gonna take away all your damn rights. Pay a damn attention. You know the thing that that is scary to me. So first of all, I have a twenty five, almost twenty six year old daughter. I have a 20, a son who just turned 24. So immediately these decisions are on a, you know, on a micro and a macro level to me. Luckily they live in New York, right? So there's going to, so, so I feel somewhat okay about them there, but, you know, being here in the, well, you know, in the South, um, you know, it's very, it's very concerning. And the other piece is, like these people who, and gosh, I know we're going to, I know we're going to be, or I'll be excoriated for it, but so be it. I have to say this. What is with these, the Christians that the evangelicals, I should say, the evangelicals are the people that I have seen be very vocal about this and other things. I don't see what is quote unquote, the love of God reflected in any of this. In any of this, and that's my my concern, because if you are anti-abortion, then shouldn't you be figuring out a way to be down there at these abortion clinics with with truckloads full of diapers, truckloads full of um, baby formula, truck, you know, truckloads full oh. of a sign up sheet for. Isn't that what we should be Renee. doing? Hey. You're did so I did sweet. I do it? No, you did. did I so, do you're so nice. It, it, I, and the, you know, you're just a sweet person who just imagines that they actually worship Jesus and God. They worship whiteness. They worship power and whiteness. This is not even their religion is whiteness. Mm. They pray to a blonde, blue eyed Jesus. And anybody else who is upholding that. I, somebody came into my comments on YouTube. was like, well, God made us in his image. I said, so you're a man? You're a white man? Mm. I got no response. Because if you're mm. a black woman and God has made God made you in God's image, then God is a black woman. If you're a black right. woman, you know, that you could pray to a white man as your God made in God's image means that you are automatically operating from a point of inferiority from a point of lack, from a point of I'm, I'm, I'm begging to fit into something that I don't naturally phenotypically fit into. And I'm going to base my whole religion and my belief system on praying to somebody that has been upheld to be this in the sky, white man with a beard and his son, blonde hair, blue eyed, frail, skinny, stringy hair, Jesus in that hot ass African sun anyway, but this is, this is the play Renee. It makes no logical sense. So you're saying something really logical and from a place of heart and love. Like if you love people, cause that's all that, that all religions are about loving humanity. (laughs) No, this is, that's how, you know, it's not about that. That's how, you know, but I have a question for people listening. Have you ever felt unfree? 866-801-8255. 866-801-8255. I want to know, has anybody felt unfree, man or woman? 
also want to hear from anyone that has had to terminate a pregnancy that has made the decision because, you know, or been forced to, because there's several women that have had ectopic pregnancies. Like my mother had an ectopic Mm. pregnancy and she almost died. I was three or four years old. No, I was three years old riding around our job. We had a giant uh, pre-war apartment. I had a tricycle. I remember like it was yesterday and my mother was chasing me and then she fell passed out. And I had to go next door because I didn't know if she wouldn't wake up to my neighbor and ambulance came and I just remember being petrified. But my, my, my mother had an ectopic pregnancy when I was three. I remember it like it was yesterday because, you know, uh, we were playing and then the next thing she's on the, on the floor. Um, and there are women that this weekend could not get, you know, I've, I've read a thread where somebody had their doctor couldn't perform it until they talked to a lawyer. And every minute, hour that you wait to t- right. take care of somebody's health can mean their death. But that doesn't matter. We, Jesus said we shouldn't. Jesus meant, meant, mentioned nothing about this, by the way. But that's neither here nor there. I just want to hear from someone who has terminated a pregnancy. And that decision, were you happy to have the option, is the question. And what if you could not? Because there are a lot of people that have had um, abortions and have regretted there are um, a lot of people that have been forced to have babies and didn't regret it. Right. Um, I had a student in my class who was auditing. She was um, in her sixties. I shared the story before I asked her if it was okay to share it. So I'm sharing it. And she talked about growing up in the late fifties and, and getting pregnant in a Catholic environment where it was not, you know, it was frowned upon to be pregnant but she did not have any options and she wanted to have an option because as a result, she couldn't go to college, which she was very bright. And now she's auditing. She, you know, her job options were very limited and she was forced to have a child, which she did. And she's very happy that she had her daughter, but she didn't have the option. And so she was talking to mostly the girls in my class about to not have the option, you know, and how her life of poverty for most of her, you know, young adult life, raising a child by herself because she was thrown out of her family, of course, because that's something that, wow, mm-hmm, you know, wow. um, not any support, you know, and having to figure it out for, for herself, uh, working low wage jobs because she didn't have many options. I don't know what that feels like, but I know that there's somebody listening who does. And, you know, um, when you look at the figures on on who has abortion services, who has abortions, um, I think I saw 75% are at or below the poverty line. So when you take this to its, you know, nth degree, right? It, this is designed to create a permanent class of, you know, citizens who are in poverty, who grew up in poverty. This, um, you know, how can women fully take part in the, um, you know, be full citizens in in all of their sort of self-actualized selves? How can you be your best if you can't control your reproductive life? And that that's always been, and, and by the way, you know, I've said this a million times and I'll stand by this for me personally, I am, am pro-life Renee. Renee is pro-life, i.e. I would not make this choice for me. Can I pause? Can I pause? Yes. I think even people who have abortions are pro-life. 
I think we're all yeah. pro-life. Anybody with humanity is pro-life. I think that language has been placed into our mouths. That's not the proper way to frame this. It's not about anti-life or pro-life. This is right. about choices, right? Karen Hunter would never have an abortion. I would exactly. never have an abortion. I would never have, never, would never, me personally. Now I can't, which is, you know, good. I don't have that choice. But, for and, you, you know. Yeah, and, and you're right. I mean, I think that, that that's what we're really talking about here is that who am I to make the decision and the choice for what's best for somebody else? I don't feel, I, I'm trying to manage my own little territory, my own little square of the universe. I don't want to take on anybody else's square. I'm not interested in telling you how to live your life. I can only manage my own life. And that's what is frustrating. You're absolutely right. It's the taking away of choices that is the most, you know, upsetting about this. 866-801-8255. You know, the land of the free and the home of the brave. No, it's the land of cowards. And most of us are not free. And uh, to your point, um, Renee Seiler is here. Those of you who are just tuning in, uh, great journalistic mind, writer, mother, good enough mother is her book. Uh, she And she has a whole brand, good enough, E-N-U-F mother. You can follow her on Twitter and good enough mother spelled out enough spelled correctly dot com. As, as you're talking, the class of people t- listening to my student talk about her choices or lack of creating a, a surf community, a, people who will be dependent upon the government for food, clothing, and shelter. And then in exchange for that food, clothing, and shelter, there's going to have to be an exchange because it's coming next, right? So right now, you you know, the less you work, you, if you work make too much money, you can't get these you know, government benefits, I'm putting up air quotes, because all it does is it, it atrophies you. It, mm-hmm. it forces you to have a cycle of dependency, and we see it. More often than not, the cycle of welfare is a cycle. It's, it's supposed to be there to help. So why is it generation after generation after generation? Because they know, even the projects, the way they set, they studied the projects to set up how we can drive people insane and make them <laughs> completely mad. Projects, they studied the construct of a project with lab rats and it's not conducive to building and growing and flourishing just the opposite so now we have right prison now we're gonna have a layer of poverty that people will be dependent oh you want food and clothing here's what you're gonna have to do (laughs) and now what are your choices and i think you know they go away little by little by little niche 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 and then you wake up and you're like and until it becomes normal because now this is normal right we're like, oh, as long as it's not that bad, like we'll take we'll take the lesser of two evils. That's mm-hmm. th- that's where we are right now, right? Politically across the board. Well, we know this per- person's problematic, but at least he's not like this. Instead of like, what's the ideal person that you want to lead? Arkansas has the option to to elect a whole rocket scientist who is a follower of actually black Jesus. <laughs> who is a father who is brilliant, who loves Arkansas and people who wants everyone to have rights. And it looks like Sarah Suckabee Sanders is in the lead. A whole lying sack of inhumanity. How does that make any sense? 
oh, well, she's for she she's going to protect the babies, the white babies, not the black babies, because they don't give a damn about the black babies. And, and they could have as many black babies in their family. Amy Coney Barrett, all you Mitt Romney, y'all got a sprinkling of black babies. But it feels very. Uh, very like um, Belgium to me or like the, the human zoos of the, uh, it feels like that to me. Like you, you're grandstanding with black children that you've gotten from Haiti or someplace. And just as, look at me, I'm not racist. I have children. No, you have props. You have props. And I said it. And I mm. believe that with every fiber of my being, you may think that you're doing something great. Well, we're rescuing them from this horrible place in Haiti. We took them from the, from horrors. And no, no, you have props. Mm. Treat their, mm. their kindred here better. How about that? Make laws that will make it impossible for what's happening in Haiti right now, which America is directly responsible for. Hey, Clintons, everybody get some to say, you know, nobody's partisan here. We're people. We're not partisan. We're people. Renee Seiler, uh, 866-801-8255. We've got a lot of callers, which is good. We're going to take some calls. I also want to say free Brittany Griner. I don't know how you oh. feel about this. We're going to save that. Lord have mercy. she got another six months uh, at least or maybe 10 years. And, again, since we're talking about freedom, I, I keep putting, you know, the inability of for us to put ourselves in people's places I think yeah. is the problem here. Like, I absolutely can imagine being damn near seven feet tall and a black woman in a Russian prison. And it petrifies me. It's horrifying. Did you, did you happen to see that picture of her today? Um, as she was, there was a procedure and she was being led, you know, she's in handcuffs and everything. And the, the look on her face, she actually looked like she had seen some things, you know, like she had just, there was something in her eyes, something, about the way she looked that was really um, troubling to me. Um, and I think that we should all be very concerned about her. You know, here we are, U.S.-Moscow relations at an all-time low. And here, you know, who knows what what they plan to do? Is Are they going to be looking at trading her, like this, this kind of horse trade for this prisoner, for that prisoner? Or is she going to just atrophy in a, in a far-off Russian jail and... I, this picture was really troubling. Yeah, I saw it. yeah. you know, you know what I was thinking. Mm. Um, how how is she handling her period? Hopefully, the trauma. Hopefully, the trauma has stopped it, right? But I know in America, because we we had for a couple of years on this show on Sunday, an advocate for women's rights in prison. Uh, so Topeka Sam had a show where she was responsible for women getting enough sanitary napkins to last a month. You know, what about black women in particular who have fibroids? We, you know, those of us who've had fibroids, you bleed like crazy. A couple of pads, three pads, five pads that they were given, not going to last. She was like, she would bleed through those in a day and then you wouldn't get no more. Imagine what that would feel like. Or to yeah. be uh, delivering a baby with handcuffs on. Like, what you, where you going? What, the level of inhumanity in America is palpable and stunning. What is Brittany Griner dealing with in Russia as a black woman in a nation that's not very welcoming necessarily to black people and, a, and, and an out lesbian. Out I mean, oh, you know, right. I didn't even, you know. I didn't even bring that up. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. in, a, in a nation that is so-called, you know, anti LGBTQIA, right. And yeah. a woman. A black woman. Black woman. 
866-801-8255. All right, Renee, let's, let's go to the phones. You ready? I'm ready. All right, let's go to Massachusetts and welcome in Sarah. Hello. Hi, Karen. Hi, Hi. Renee. Hi, welcome. How are you doing? Thank Good. you. Uh, I was just listening, and I heard you offering the space for people to share about their story um, and accessing medical abortions or just abortions. Uh, I had a medical abortion. I, I, I took the, the pill, the RU-487 uh, pill uh, years ago. Um, and I'm glad that I had that opportunity and that right to, uh, to choose what I needed to do for myself and for my body at that time. No regrets. And, and, and let me just say, no because, because of medicine, um, when I took my good friend, to get her first abortion when she came to go and and she called me and she was like, I'm in town. Here's what I'm doing. And I went with her and she stayed with me while she went through it. Um, it was painful, you know, and it was shameful. We had to go by with people holding up what an aborted fetus looks like and yelling and screaming. I mean, going through, like I walked in with her, like, and I was like, you know, I wish you would like y'all sit down somewhere, you know, because it's enough to make that decision. But now that you could do it in the privacy of your home with a pill, do you know what I'm saying? The humanity of that allows for the autonomy that people should have. No one should have to climb over, quote unquote, protesters thinking they're doing God's work to do something that nobody, I promise you, is like, yay, let's go have an abortion, have a party. This is so much fun. And the pain that comes afterwards and the bleeding that comes afterwards and then the mental recovery, do you know, um, to be able to take a pill, I mean, can you talk a little bit more about that, Sarah? Because I think that, I, yeah, it, yeah. Absolutely. It was a pill. I did um, eventually take the pill in my own home. Uh, but my experience was very much what you just described. I did it in, in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, I did have to go through the experience of seeing uh, counter protesters to my decision who have no idea who I am, my humanity, my experience, uh, my life, and were there on the schedule of their church. Uh, you know, on that Tuesday or whatever it was. And I'm very thankful for my, my sister friend who came and uh, brought me to there, Dro- you know, drove me there, escorted me and stayed with me the whole weekend and, you know, bought me ice cream and um, hung out as I had to have that experience in the privacy of my, home, of my own home. I was very happy to have that, my own bathroom and kind of, you know, do that with grace. But it wasn't just like a nothing, you know, take it, um, keep it moving. You know, I had to like plan out that experience. I knew in my heart that it was the right experience. Again, I have no regrets. I'm glad that I did it, but I'm um, so appreciative that I had the the privilege and access to do that. Um, and also had the support and in my community from, from being able to, to, you know, to have what I needed to care afterwards, you know, for myself oh, and recover. Thank you so much for calling Sarah in Massachusetts and being transparent. Um, Renee, you You know, she said a word that stuck out to me, access, access. And that's what we're talking about. This access is going to be cut off to a whole lot of people, lots and lots of black and brown women. Um, And who will, as your, um, the woman who was auditing your class, this will have lasting, lasting effects on their lives. They may never reach their full potential because they couldn't make a choice or the choice was was cut off from them. It's the lack of access that is so disheartening. 
And I, you know, I, I came from a semi-influent parent uh, household. You know, my parents, you know, I didn't grow up poor. Let me just say that. And it was Planned Parenthood on my, but I wasn't going to go to my parents. Was it thunder and lightning there? Okay. Sorry. Yes, that's a, you can't apologize to Mother Nature's like, I am going to be involved in the Karen Hunter Show today. Come on through, Mother Nature. We are here. We love you. 866-801-8255. But I remember, you know, having to get birth control pills or wanting to. Like, I wasn't going to go to my mother and ask for it or whatever. And the fact, you know, it's like, if you if I had to ask for money, it, for what? You know? And to have a Planned Parenthood that was, like, you know, a mile up the street that I could go to, um, I went to Drew and Morristown, was very convenient. And I could stack up on the burger joke. But then I also imagine some 18, 19-year-old who doesn't have the money or the resources to travel, right? If they're in... Texas or Louisiana, which today a judge temporarily blocked abortion, the abortion ban. That was a state that as soon as the law went into place, it triggered them banning abortions in Louisiana. And the judge was like, nope. Today, he was like, hold up the Republican led state, which is trying to enforce it. He was like, we're going to wait until July 8th and schedule a hearing to decide whether to enforce this law that just went through uh, this is New, uh, Orleans Parish Civil District Court Judge Robin Giarusso issued the temporary restraining order blocking Louisiana from carrying out its its, uh, you know, ban on abortions. And I appreciate that. And thank you. Thank you, Judge. But this is what's going to take. But unfortunately, the, the president that put most of the judges on on the lower courts right now was Donald J. Trump. So there it was. That. just a slow and steady march. And we were distracted by a lot of the crazy that we didn't see, you know, what was, what was going on or we weren't paying attention, you know, uh, just going back for a second to what you said about Planned Parenthood, same with me. Um, I had a mother who was very open, had great conversations, great relationship with her. But when I was about 16, she said, listen, if you ever feel like you are at a point where you want to have sex and let's get you, you know, protected, let's make sure, you know, I'm too, I think she said something like I'm too young to be a grandmother or something like that. But, but I didn't go to her because of kind of what you were saying. I, I was a little bit embarrassed. And so I went to my local Planned Parenthood and, and Planned Parenthood is, you know, where I got my first birth control. And I have utilized Planned Parenthood a number of times, not just for birth control, for just general female health care. And I got to just tell you, the last time I went, I felt so cared for and was so it was like I was so grateful and I felt like someone was on my side and Mm -hmm. someone was actually looking out for me and not just about whether I was going to have a baby or not, but really about the full, full me and, and full health of me. And so when people try to boil Planned Parenthood down to the, you know, abortion providers, it's very frustrating because they do so, so much more and not just on the physical end. You know, I mean, for me, it was really about, like being enveloped and you're going to be protected. We're here for you. I love yeah. it. I mean, I, obviously I uh, have a dear friend who was a, uh, who headed up Planned Parenthood for a few years and a great doctor, mm. amazing human being Mickey in California. I want to take as many calls as possible. Mickey in California. Welcome to the Karen Hunter show. Renee Seiler is here. 
Hi. Hi. Hi, Karen. Hi, Renee. How are you? Awesome. Uh, I was uh, telling a person that um, when I was 20 years old, and that's been 56 years ago, um, I did have I, I did have uh, an abortion. Uh, there was it was not legal. Um, I had to seek out someone who would do it, and I was terrified. Um, she had very small hands. That's what I remember. The location and the fact that the woman had very very small hands. Mickey, what what state? I'm sorry. And California. All, th- thank you. So in California, when you were 20, Los Angeles. When you were 2021, 20, abortion was not legal in the state of California. Oh no, definitely not. And so, definitely. was there like? Did and I you, had a. Who, I already had a, a one-year-old. You already had a child, and so you were like, "I'm not going to have another." Where, where? How did you know where to go? Um, someone told me. And was it uh, a clinic? Was it somebody's home? No. Yes, it was her home, uh, the back uh, bedroom of her apartment um, in in Los Angeles. And uh, every time I passed by that street, that's what I remember, going in there and just being terrified. And um, coming out, and she told me at the end, she put in three... Uh, three cotton balls, and my my job was to count the cotton balls when they came out, and before I went to get help, before I went to the uh, to the hospital, because it was supposed to look like a miscarriage. And when I got to the hospital, of course, they um, didn't really believe it, but the cotton balls were gone. They didn't have any proof of it because otherwise I would have gone to jail. Uh, my sister took me uh, to the hospital. She was um, not very encouraging, <laughs> but uh, it was I'd done what I felt like I needed to do because I I had a job, but I knew I couldn't afford an I knew I couldn't afford another child, and um, there was no there there, there was no help. Uh, there's nothing in place. Uh, there was nothing in place like it is today. Uh, I work now uh, volunteer work with a. Um, a women's shelter, and uh, I know what it looks like for young women who don't have choices. And mm-hmm. uh, my daughter, I, I raised her, and she's raised her children uh, the same way to believe that women should have choices. And my grandson says that if you don't have a uterus, you don't have a voice. You don't tell women what to do with their body. Mm-hmm. It's not your business. Mm-hmm. M- Mickey, uh, 55 years later... 55 years later, do you, I know you, you think about that. Do you have any regrets mm-hmm. and, and how none. do you, none, none. zero. Okay. None. And how mm-hmm. do you, how do you none. feel about where we are right now? Cause you lived through the civil rights 55 years ago. You've, you've lived through uh, the passages marched, of all this. Come on. I've marched. I've marched. I've passed out flyers. I've done voter registration. I took my daughter through all of that. I took my grandchildren through all of that. I have great grandchildren. I will take them through the same. All girls. We would go through the same exact thing today. Um, the very thought of it, my daughter is outraged. We are just bereft because to to think that all that we went through and it could be undone 
by people who had an agenda in the beginning. They lied to get on the court. They lied. That's right. There is no other way to put it. They lied. Ah, uh, um, Mickey just brought it home for me. Um, and I thank she sure you. Did. I mean, she sure this is did. a woman that's lived through, been through to see it turn back in her lifetime. That has to be devastating and really painful. I think, I think her, what she said was really interesting about, she had no regrets. Um, interesting and important that she, you know, Karen, going back to what you said that we, nobody goes into this thinking, Oh, I'm going to have an abortion and, and, and callously about this. This is something that, you know, you is a, is a very big decision. You're weighing your, she had a one-year-old. She was in a job that didn't pay very well. She had a glimpse of what her future would look like if she brought another child into her life at that time. She knew what it would look like, not just for her, but for her one-year-old. And, you know, she talked about how her daughter, she raised her daughter, and her daughter's successful and has had children and all of that, all of those things. This is what we're talking about. This is the pebble in the pond, right? You make this one decision, and then there are these concentric circles, people's lives, who are 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 impacted um, in ways that are infinitely better. And I feel very confident in saying this: infinitely better than they would be had they had to had they had no choice um and it's interesting to me to hear her say that she had no regrets because she knew she weighed she's a a grown-ass woman she knows what what time it is well more importantly Um, she was raising a one-year-old so you know what the financial the physical and she had a job and for someone's well she should just just given it uh given it up for abort for adoption that means she would have had to carry that baby to term Mm. and Back then, oh, guess what? There was no maternity leave. Mm. There, you know, that's a recent or more a more recent law where women get to have maternity leave, and there's still some places where you really don't, and they don't hire you if they think you're gonna get pregnant. Like there's right, right. and then you got to go through. So let's just say she goes through and carries carries the pregnancy. Then you gotta, you know, tell everybody that you're giving the baby up for adoption, and just all of these decisions that are between you and your partner, and your God, and why do you have to be so public about it? Why do you have to tell everybody? Why do they have to know? Why do they have to ask? That kind of crazy. It's like, mind your own business. And that's what this is all about. This is not, mind your business. Mind your business. Going back to the, the, the evangelical piece for just a second too, what the the assumption that everybody is a Christian is also something that's been messing with me because not everybody believes as evangelicals do, and so well that's the pro- that's the problem though, Renee. Everyone should. Our job is to make everyone a Christian. It's the Great Commission. Jesus yeah. told us to go out and make yeah. people Christians. That's our yeah. job. So if you're not a Christian, you're an infidel. You're a sat. You're a heathenist. You're 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 a heathen. You're a sa- satanist. You you're 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 not of God. So so it's okay to beat people about the head and shoulders during this process to to make them evangelicals. No, not I just yeah. it's it's I I don't get it. I'm not going to pretend to get it. Um, I, I you know I was raised in a a, a Christian house. And I remember I, w- I w- came up, I guess it would be considered evangelical, 
but it didn't have this, this sharp kind of elbows feel 20, 30 years ago, 35 years ago. It didn't feel so mean and it feels mean and very unchristlike these days. You know, the, the embrace of, of just it's our way or the highway. And, and, and it's like this fiefdom, everybody's, everybody's trying to see, you know, doesn't want to cede any territory. And I, I don't, I don't get it. I'm, I'm totally baffled. And I don't think Jesus would get it either. No. Well, frankly, I'll, I'll, I'll remind you of something. So he came what, feeding people, uh, performing mm. miracles, raising people from the dead, uh, looking out for the poor, the hungry and all that. And then they crucified him. So I feel like if Jesus was here now, he would be crucified again. Because the same people that say they worship him would be the very ones crucified him because they don't see what the actual message and mission is. President Trump, on behalf of all the MAGA patriots in America, I want to thank you for the historic victory for white life in the Supreme Court yesterday. That was representative elected official Mary Miller, uh, congresswoman from Illinois, 15th uh, district Republican, of course, MAGA Republican. That's diff- something different. And white life. Trump did that. She she's put it on him that he what did he do? Oh, he put three Supreme Court justices and then flooded the lower courts with people who would do this. And those lying ass judges, they should be impeached. But. It won't happen because America is a land of cowards. Let me welcome to the show. Uh, she's been here before. She's back. Of course, Renee Seiler is sticking around. And she's the author. The latest book is The Truth About White Lies. Let me welcome the one and only ranting owl herself, Olivia A. Cole. Welcome back. Hi. Thank you for having me again, Karen. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, you know, I, there's a couple of things. First of all, you are, to me, the heir apparent to uh, our cousin Jane Elliott in terms of your, your ideals. Uh, but also, you are a melanemic woman. That's a t- term I got from Jane Elliott. Melanemic woman raising a brown child, mm-hmm. girl child mm-hmm. in this world. And so I just, I wanted your, you know, your perspective. And you're young, so you've never been in, a, I don't think you've ever lived in a time when there wasn't, uh, you know, the right to have an abortion as a woman. So right. what, how do you feel about everything? Um, you know, I, I don't think I've even fully allowed it to sink in yet. I've just been so, you know, like knowing it's coming and, and then seeing it happen it are just two, two different things. Um, being in Kentucky, my, you know, from my younger years, and I was born, you know, in Indiana, grew up in Kentucky and, uh, so even though I've never lived in a world where abortion was, uh, was, you know, repealed, um, you know, Roe v. I've always lived in a Roe v. Wade world, um, being in Kentucky, it always did still feel like something that wasn't available, um, you know, it, conservative and, um, you know, uh, religious, all of those things. So even if it was legal, um, it, it has always felt like it was slipping away. Um, so in, you know, this has been the, the conservative goal for a long time and we'll get into why, you know, a little later, but, um, yeah, it's, it's scary and it's enraging. And I, you know, think about my daughter, uh, you know, the other day <laughs> I'm very, you know, she's four, she's precocious. Um, she'll be five in October and she, uh, 
told me the other day she was carrying a doll and she said, this is how I would carry my baby if I had a baby. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, we talked about it. And she said, but I don't want a baby. I'm going to be on birth control. And I was like, oh, <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> wow. You know, well, hey, you know, that's your right, baby. Nobody, nobody has to have a baby if they don't want to. And then literally two weeks later, it's coming down. Um, and, you know, even when I said that to her, I know I'm lying to her because this country has has its its ways, and you know it's it, it, you know the leak uh, however long ago, so we knew it was coming. Um, and lying to her in that way, it doesn't feel like a lie to me because we we are right. We are we are not going to live in a world without abortion. We are entitled to that. It is a human right. We will fight for it. Um, we will never stop fighting for it. So in a way, I, I tell myself it is not a lie because no one should have to have a baby if they don't want to. Um, but uh, the political and legal reality of that, um, you know, I'm just watching the the world sh shifting and it's just like, you know, big chasms opening up in the ground all around me as I, you know, make my way through parenting. Um, and, you know, the, the truths that I have to tell her because I never... I never want to shield her from the truth and have her living in a fantasy world. Um, she can't afford that. She's going to grow up to be a black woman and I, I can't let, let that happen to her. So doing that, um, it's painful. I hate to, you know, even think about that as she gets even older and these conversations get more sophisticated, you know what that's going to be like, but, um, but I am preparing every day. that <sighs> uh, activism, Olivia, a Cole, she uses her pen as a mighty sword and also her platform. I appreciate that. Renee Seiler is here as promised. I want to go back to the phones. Um, Danielle in California. And thank you, Olivia, for sharing that. Hey, Danielle, welcome. Hey, Hey, Karen. Hey, Miss Seiler. Hey, Miss Olivia. Thank you for taking my call to everybody. Can you hear me okay? Yes, and you're welcome. Thank you oh. for calling. So I called, I've had two abortions, and I'm also the product of an anti-choice forced birth state. And I am fiercely pro-abortion and pro-choice because of my experience being the child of a woman who was forced to have me and have her dreams destroyed um, and who actually, you know, it's, I feel compassion for her. My mother was the first in our family since enslavement to have the opportunity to go to college on a full scholarship to Bennett College. Meets my father, gets pregnant, had to drop out and get married. And it was very clear to me growing up that I destroyed her dreams. And even now, I'm 52, we are estranged. Um, we never survived that. And when I had my first abortion, I was in college, similarly, my first year of college, and I knew that it was going to be a horrific experience for me. I, you know, there's a separate issue about young girls who get pregnant. I was 17 and quote unquote engaged to a man who was 30. <laughs> that would have been a nightmare destruction of my dreams. The second time I was in law school and thinking I'm doing everything right and about to get intimate with the man, had my cute little side table with my little condoms next to it. And just as we were about to get intimate, he grabbed my hand and refused to let me oh, have no. him put a condom on. And, you know, there are these circ and again, that too would have ruined what my plans are. And I have a child right now who I'm very proud of. He was very recently on television because he got into over 100 colleges. 
I wanted and I am very intentional about my chance to parent my son. I am a single mother by choice. I chose to have him when I was ready to create this wonderful person. And none of that would have been available to me had I stayed pregnant at you know, 19 in college or a couple of years later when I was in law school. But again, we don't talk enough about the trauma of all the children out there who were born in 69, 70, Mm -hmm. 71 of mothers who just didn't want them. You know, she fed me, she took care of me, but, you know, love and engagement No, and that's a pain that no child should go through. And so for the last couple of months as an attorney and as a parent, I have actually been anxious and upset about – you know, all these children who are going to be born, like Micaiah Bryant, like all these other kids, Gabriel Fernandez, if you know his story in Los Angeles, of all these women who could be their best selves if they didn't have to have children. So that's Mm. what I wanted to say. Wow. And and when she said that she and her mother are estranged, um, I mean, that that's that's heartbreaking. And when we think about the this is what I was talking about earlier, about the the layers and the levels and the concentric circles, it's her mother did not have an opportunity to chase her dreams because she was, you know, because she had a baby and this is the reality. It's not just one life that's impacted. It's many, many lives. And the willingness to do that, to, to really destroy or alter in, in, in ways large and small, I, I, it's sickening, really mm-hmm. sickening. When again, you know, they don't care what happens to the children once they get here, right? You know, mm-hmm. um, the mother or the children, but it's like getting them here is is it because it's all a, it's a numbers game to these people it's like there there needs to be and we'll get to this too you know there let's, let's get to it now um and danielle god bless thank you uh for being so transparent with the relationship that you have with your mother um and you know the honesty about knowing that you weren't wanted that that man you know like whoo um and- a li- Danielle, how did you, is she still on the line? I think she's still there. Yes, I'm still here. Danielle, how did, how did you deal with that? Like you say, you and your mother are estranged, but did you ever make peace with that? The fact that, I mean, this has nothing really basically to do with you. You didn't have, do anything except be born. Like, how did you deal with that? So interestingly, and I don't, because I I love that you guys are giving this space, for honestly, probably the first 30 years of my life, it was tremendously painful. I, you know, not having a mom, you know, not having the kind of relationship that you see other people having, um, and especially, you know, knowing that your parent is like alive. But certainly when I became a mother myself at 33, it enabled me to really see more clearly the compassion. I have compassion for her. I have compassion for the young girl who's the first in her family since enslavement, right, to go to college and have her life just upended. But because, you know, 
black folks, sometimes if it's in the past, it's in the past and we won't redress it. Um, there's not a willingness to, you know, discuss it. Um, there was a family that's just kind of like, yeah, you just kind of move on and that's not the life that I want to have, you know. And I think if there's like really a sadness, I've had to make peace with it. She doesn't have a relationship with my son, you know, Um it's it's a it you know it's disappointing and it's sadness but it is what it is right I, I I couldn't live under that shadow of pretending that something was great when it wasn't great but again the compassion that I feel for all the I mean in the, because my son is heading to college in the fall the young girls that are in college that are just their lives are just going to be devastated it's, it's or they're going to move to other states. Me. Uh, Danielle, God bless. Thank you so much uh, for being a part of this family. When we come back, Olivia, what is this really about? You're going to tell us? You're going to break it down? What is this? Because we know this is not about abortion. We know it's not really about forcing women to have babies. There's a bigger play here. And they've been strategic the whole time. So let's talk about the strategy. And then let's talk about what, not a counter strategy, what should our action be next? Hey, this is Karen Hunter. You can listen to The Karen Hunter Show live every Monday through Friday at 3 p.m. East on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app.